I closed my eyes only for a moment, and the moment's gone. All my dreams passed before my eyes, a curiosity, dust in the wind. All they are is dust in the wind. Same old song, just a drop of water in an endless sea. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. Dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Now don't hang on. Nothing lasts forever but the earth and sky. It slips away, and all your money won't another minute buy. Dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. You can stop singing that in your head now. (laughs) That's Dust in the Wind by Kansas. That is another recognition of the, 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 the vapor of life under the sun. If you're only looking, if you're looking no higher than the sun, no higher than this creation, There's not a lot of hope found here. See, that's the question we are faced with in Ecclesiastes. Is that all we are? Is there more than what we see under the sun? And of course, when we look around, and if we just look at the circumstances of this life and the problems of life in a fallen world, we are tempted to say, yeah, this is all there is. Because look how bad it is. Is there more than what we see under the sun? Well, of course, we know that Solomon's answer is yes. He's very real about the problems of life in a fallen world. He's taking us to to the conclusion, though, that there is a God and that He will judge everything. And that truth keeps peeking through as we study Ecclesiastes. What really matters is trusting God and living for Him. But first he yanks off our rose-colored glasses. He forces us to deal with the realities of life in a fallen world, with the problems that are real and here and not to be glossed over. So today, after we see this truth, we started in verses 1, 1, and 2, and we started on the bookend seeing that all is vanity or not, not meaningless, not futile, but really the word means vapor or everything here is a puff. It's here and it's gone. It can't sustain your joy. It wasn't meant to be that. So we see that everything is that, and then in the end he said the whole purpose of life is to to love God, honor Him, obey Him, keep His commandments, and know that judgment is coming. And so we've seen that. We've walked through talking about wisdom. We've talked about the vanity of self-indulgence, the vanity of, of living wisely, if that's all we're looking to is human wisdom, earthly wisdom. And we're coming today to talk about two things. Pretty timely topic. Oppression and injustice. And this could be a really long sermon. It'll be a very general sermon. A lot of the application will be left up to you to make. We'll talk more about some of these other things. Uh, But just laying in general the reality that this world is filled with injustice. This world is filled with oppression. This world is filled with violence. How do you interpret that? How do you apply and have hope in that? What does it all mean? 
Is it all going to last forever? It's questions like that that we're, that we're faced with as we read through Ecclesiastes. I'm very thankful for this book and the realism of this book. The main point I want us to see from verses 3, verse 16 to chapter uh, 4, verse 3 is that Solomon is beginning to focus on some of the more frustrating aspects of life in a fallen world. I entitled it Injustice, Oppression, and Truth. And you dare not leave off the last part of that. But the main point, injustice and oppression are only problems, I should say justified problems, if the true God exists. And they should be placed in the context of His big picture, the big picture of His truth. So most of the application this morning is for you, something for you to, things for you to know and embrace so that you can rightly interpret life in a fallen world. First, let's look at the problem of injustice. And again, these are just introductions. This is, we have to go pretty fast this morning, but, but it, it's enough to whet your appetite. If you have questions, let us know. We'll be seeing a lot of these topics more as we go through the book. But he says this in verse 16. As we look at first the problem of injustice, he said, Moreover, I saw under the sun, what is that? The light, the world we experience through our senses, everything we see, hear, feel, touch, smell, everything that is here, life as it is by sight, under the sun, in the place of justice there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there, even there was wickedness. So we want to define injustice, and to do that you have to define justice. But he says, the place of judgment or justice, the place of righteousness, these are being lumped together here. The context is civil justice. He said, where, where we would hope to find justice and righteousness, what we find is wickedness. What is the place of justice? What is the place of righteousness where, where justice should be administered? Well, you think of courts. The administration of justice. And sure, it was a little different in Israel's history than it is in America now. And the, the government of the nation, theocracy, was different. But there was God-given justice and people who had the responsibility to judge and execute justice just as there is now. But justice is simply to make right. Justice is the virtue that consists in giving to everyone that which is his due, according to a righteous standard, which is from God. To give everyone according to what is due them. Everyone in a just sense, in a justice sense, could get, should get exactly what they deserve, exactly what they are due. That's the job of justice. It should be f applying a righteous standard equally and equitably to everyone so that everyone gets exactly what they are due. Solomon's evaluation is what he finds there as he looks around. Is not justice, is not righteousness, but is wickedness. And I think if we look around, for the most part, that's what we see. There's some bright and shining lights here by common grace every once in a while. And 
There's some not so bright lights. But in general, he saw wickedness was there. It hadn't been removed. So he said it should have been justice, but wickedness. Unrighteous judges make unrighteous decisions. What is wickedness? Well, it's injustice, right, in this context. It's not justice. It's giving... It's... The violence and crime against civil law. Decisions not lining up with the ultimate standard, which is God's law. Ten commandments. Expressed clearly. God gave the ten words and then applied those in a moral, civil, ceremonial way to Israel. But everything flows from those ten words. And justice, righteousness, is encapsulated there and applied from there. And There has to be a standard if you're going to judge. If a judge is going to judge, there has to be a standard. And you know, America is written law. There's a constitution. And hopefully a good constitution flows from the truths. And you'll see this as you read, especially the constitution and original law and moving away from that now. But you'll see what's been called the Judeo-Christian ethic. It's just flowing out of the Ten Commandments. Why is murder wrong? Well, because there is a God who created man in his image, and he says it is. There has to be a standard, and a good standard. What is good? What is righteous? What is just must flow from a good and a righteous and a just source. And the law of God does and is an expression of His goodness and His righteousness and of His justice and of His blessing upon His people to give us the standard and to know what to expect. Kids need to know what you expect of them, parents. It's frustrating if they don't know the rules and you keep whacking them and they didn't even know they were messing up. Make sure they know the rules. But in the courts, in the place of justice and righteousness, where right decisions should be made, Solomon says, what I see there is wickedness. The Greek word, if you don't know what the Septuagint is, that's fine. But the Greek word, it's a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the Greek word that was used here for wickedness means this. Being destitute of reverential awe towards God. In other words, not fearing God. Wickedness at its heart is not fearing God, not having reverential awe towards God, and therefore not making decisions that honor Him and are in accord with His Word. So one of the evidences of a fallen world is corruption in the courts of the land. And there's corruption in the courts of this land. Murder is made right by settled law. Yes, I'm talking about abortion again. As we move farther and farther away from God and have sought to remove His law from the public square, from the schools, from the public arena, from the courts, when it's actually written on the walls by the founders, The farther we move away from God and His righteous standard, the more wicked the decisions and will be, the outcomes will be. One of the evidence of a fallen land, a fallen world, and one of the 
one of the evidences of a declining nation is moving away from righteousness and justice that is found in the true and living God and in His Word and in His law, moving more to man's opinion and what seems right in our own eyes. Man parades around like he is removing all justice and oppression. By our might, we will do that. We will remove all justice. And as we are doing it, we are being more and more and more unjust. Because we are leaving God and His law behind and seeking to do what seems right in the eyes of sinful mankind. Let me tell you this. If man could remove all injustice, he would have done it by now. And the farther we move away from God, the more horrible a job we do at it. Was there common grace and is there common grace in America? Just using an American example. Yes. Was there a good start and a good standard? Yes. Were there violations of God's law? Of course. No nation is perfect, and this one has a horrible track record in some areas. Slavery and ongoing from that is one of them. Has there been progress? Yes. Is it perfect? No. But if man could remove all injustice, he would have done it by now, and he hasn't. What are some examples of injustice and unrighteousness civilly and flowing from law and court? Well, I mean, these are obvious, but how about this? Judges being partial to the rich. It's often said that you get as much justice as you can afford. That's not true in all things. There are some good judges out there, some good, but there's some really bad ones too. And in mass, it's getting worse and worse. Judges taking bribes. That happens all the time. Judges not abiding by and applying the Constitution. Writing a new one, living document, moving on. How about this? This is the one we're familiar with. People convicting of crimes they did not commit. That's not justice. That's not righteousness. Some people have spent decades in prison for crimes they didn't commit. How about letting people off for crimes they did commit? How about not giving people what they deserve? Somebody murders somebody and it gets pleaded down to five years. Now that's not God's righteousness. That's not God's standard. How about people groups being treated differently in court? Now, there's a lot of that that has happened in America. Racism infects even the courts. Is it better than it was? Absolutely. Yes, there has been progress. Is it where it needs to be? No. That means is it perfect in God's eyes? No. So people getting off, people being treated, just brushed under the rug. Some crimes, not even laws not even being applied anymore. There's lots of injustice out there. The worst and the most serious example of injustice was the trial of Christ. Mock trial, sham trial, kangaroo court, on steroids. They were not looking for justice. They were looking for a reason to condemn Him and willing to make up such reasons. 
Jesus was not tried in the righteous sense of the word. But God was in control of every bit of that. He had foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. He's not the author of sin. He's not responsible for wicked men made wicked decisions and showed you exactly what people would do if they could get their hands on God and crucified the Son of God. And through that act, God accomplished redemption for His people. Look at Acts, Peter, preaching. This Jesus, Acts 2, 23 and 24, this Jesus, who was a victim and slain by accident, and it was horrible and there's no hope. Sovereign God, in control, without being the author of sin or responsible for it, working out His plan of redemption through wicked men who make wicked choices. Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The Jews used the Romans for their instrument of crucifixion. But, look at this, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God was in control. God People made real choices that they were responsible for and yet He was in control and accomplished the plan of redemption and Jesus was crucified on exactly the day that He was supposed to be crucified in exactly the way and accomplished everything God had planned for Him to accomplish was the redemption of His people. See, if God's not sovereign, He couldn't have done that. And if God's not sovereign, He can't promise you that He causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him. If he's not in control, he cannot make that promise. But I have news for you. He is in control. And yes, hard things happen and things that we can't understand. And sometimes we don't see how it could be good or fit into his plan. That's why we have to get out of our pea brains and trust in one who has infinite wisdom and knowledge and look to the cross and know that if he did that and he can accomplish that, if he did that for me, one, he can do anything he wants to. But boy, I can trust that God. That king would die for me. I can trust him. I can entrust sovereignty to him. I don't have to be in control. I don't have to understand it all to trust him. God raised Jesus. That proves the gospel true. That proves you'll stand before him someday. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand before him? Do you believe Romans 8.28? Yes. Well, then you believe God is sovereign. Because without it, He couldn't have accomplished redemption. He can overcome injustice and accomplish His will all while remaining holy and pure and undefiled and unspotted by sin. He never tempts anybody to sin. He never causes anybody to sin. And yet, He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass before the foundation of the world without violating the free will of men of second causes. Read Reformed Confessions. Westminster chapter 3. He'll give you all the scripture references. I can't do that this morning. I'm just here to tell you that in spite of the injustice that you see in this world, there's a God who's in control working out His plan, and that is the redemption of His people. And He's going to take this gospel to the ends of this earth and save everyone who was given to His Son. And if you are trusting in Jesus this morning, it is because 
He has worked faith in you through his gospel. And if you're not, I'm telling you the opportunity. Don't blame it on God's sovereignty. Well, I might not. Mm -mm. You are being called. In fact, you're being commanded this morning to turn and trust in this Savior because he has raised him from the dead. And if you will have Jesus, he will have you. In fact, if you will have Jesus, he already has you. We can talk about that later. Someday all this mess is going to be over. And there will be no more injustice. Be ready. Be ready. Because your life is filled with injustice. And you don't, you don't want to answer for it on your own. You better be trusting in the Savior, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will give you salvation as a free gift. Solomon says, I saw wickedness where there should have been righteousness. But look, his faith peeks through. It keeps peeking through. He can't stand it. Look at verse 17. But I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter. See, we saw that in the first part of chapter 3. Sovereignly, foreordained. There was a time for everything. He's in control. And he says this. There was a time for every matter and every work, including judgment. God has set a day, the Word says, on which He will judge by His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a set day. It's a set time. Solomon says it's going to happen. And that's what comforted him. Just like the psalmist. Oh, if you just look at the harshness of this world, you will be caused to struggle until you look up to God who's in control and no, no, wait, whoa. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. And I'm okay. Not because of me, and I'm just in general saying this, but because of Jesus. I have Jesus as my Savior, so I'm ready. Solomon says, God will judge everyone. We've seen that peek through already. We'll see it again as we move forward. What then could possibly be the purpose of remaining in justice? Why doesn't God just wipe it all out? Well, just my own personal life. If he'd have done that before I was 26, I would be in hell now. I don't know when you were saved or at what age that was. I remember one time in Three Rivers Baptist Church in Columbia, South Carolina, a man named Al Martin came to preach. And if you've never heard Al Martin preach, you should do that. He'd probably scare you. Smaller man with this huge voice. And he met with the elders before the service, and the first thing that man prayed was, God, I thank you that I am not in hell right now because that's where I deserve to be. So what could possibly be the purpose? Why doesn't God just wipe it all out? Redemption. I've already hinted at it. But look at this. Look what he says. For what happens to the children of man happens to the beast the same. One dies like the other. Wait a minute. Go back to 18. I'm skipping ahead. I knew I was lost. You ever get lost? <laughs> Walk into a room, don't know why you went in there. Never mind. Kids, when you get older, enjoy youth now. When you get older, that check engine light's going to start coming on. <laughs> Verse 18. I said in my heart with regard to, the, regard to the children of man that God is testing them. Watch this. That they may see that they themselves are but beasts. This is not heaven. And if God made it look and feel like heaven, you wouldn't know the corruption that's in your heart. You wouldn't know that you need a Savior. 
And it's part of the way God is revealing the remaining corruption is with the wickedness that we see that comes not just from those people out there. You know the worst sinner you know? Whether you adopt this or not or believe this or not, you know the worst sinner that you know? You. If that's not true, you're not understanding. Man, I've done far worse things to God than people will ever do to me. You'll be less of a victim if you'll own the gospel and its realities. See, God could take it all away, but He's, he's not. Why doesn't He? One reason, so that mankind might realize the bad news, that we act like beasts. It's red in tooth and claw. Men should treat one another better, but why don't they? Sin, sinful heart, corruption, Beast bear, you used to picture that. Heart is desperately sick. Who can know it, Jeremiah says. We need to know it. We need to embrace the bad news. Why do I get frustrated by all the health and wealth stuff and all the mamby-pamby sugar-coated preaching for people like Joel Osteen? Is because they'll never tell you the truth. They'll never tell you the bad news. They don't talk about sin and hell and condemnation, so there's no stage for the gospel. It's just all about you fulfilling your destiny. Sounds like Star Wars instead of Jesus. I won't even insult Yoda. You have to realize the bad news before the good news makes sense. Cindy's looking at me like, settle down. She knows I'm on the edge. Man's corrupt nature shows up in every way in the way men treat one another and women and boys and girls. God allows injustice in this present world to show man what he really is, sinful, wicked, deserving condemnation. And as you just look under the sun, you see everything dies. Death is reigning. Read Romans 5. I said in my heart with regard to the children of men, God is testing them that they may see them, they, themselves but there but beasts for... Just like the dogs and the cats, they, we die. For what happens to the children of man happens to the beast. And it's the same. As one dies, so the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts. All is vanity. If this is all you can see under the sun, if you're just looking at the fallen world from your fallen heart, you should come to the conclusion, what's the difference? That's just viewing from the... Without revelation, without word, that's where we end up. He says, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth. Without revelation, we don't know. Step aside for a minute. All dogs go to heaven. Can't prove me wrong. Step back over here. New heavens, new earth. Not heaven. We're not going to be floating on clouds. Just playing with you. Waking you up. Cats, I don't know about. Yeah, pets, things we love. Anyway, it'll be better than we've ever imagined. So I saw that there is nothing better than a man. Just find a little enjoyment. That's all you got. If this is all we have, this is all you got. Just find a little enjoyment. I saw that nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work for what is his lot. Now watch this. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Without revelation, without truth from above the sun, that's the conclusion we come to. We all die like dogs. 
Might as well live like them. Beasts. Without revelation, death is a mystery. You know why people are afraid of death? Because they don't know what's on the other side. And intuitively we know, because we're created in the image of God, that if, especially if we're not right with God, it is a thing to be feared. Because as the Bible says, it's appointed to men to die once and then cease to exist. Mm -mm. And then judgment. For Solomon keeps taking us. So if you're not ready for judgment, it ought to be fearful. And it is, but thankfully there's a gospel. Now see, in all of this, Solomon is not denying uh, life after death and the resurrection and all of that. He's pointing out the harsh realities of just focusing underneath the sun. I mean, Old Testament and New Testament teaches resurrection, teaches life after death. It's not this sermon. But thankfully, there's a gospel. God hasn't left us guessing. He has sent His Son from, a, His Son from above the Son into the creation at just the right time to save us. We have His Word that tells us that Christ, why did He come? Because we are corrupt and sinful and need a Savior. And He came to fulfill His law in perfection because we have broken it. He came to fix what was broken. He fulfilled. He was the only one who lived in complete and perfect justice. He kept the law in thought, word, and deed. He never sinned once. He was tempted in all points as we are, but he never gave in. He knows temptation to the bottom. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. He never sinned, and yet he took our sin upon himself. Why did he go to the cross? The soul that sins shall die. Judgment and, and justice and hell had to be poured out on sin if people were to be saved. So Jesus took our condemnation, our hell upon himself on that cross. And being God, no longer a helpless babe, a man, being the God-man, he could drink that cup dry. He could satisfy justice. He could take eternal punishment on himself and drink it dry and be able to say before he left the cross, it is finished. The scripture says that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Stop there. Gave Him how? To do what? To live, to die, to be raised from the grave. He gave Him to die for us. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in or trusts in Him shall not perish. Think condemnation, hell, desert, what we deserve, justice. It's not injustice. But have eternal life. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, Romans I mean, 1 Corinthians 15 says he was buried and he was raised the third day. Resurrection proves it's true. You want to argue with God? Disprove the resurrection. You can't. You know why? It happened. Without a double standard, you can't disprove it. But see, it's good news for you if you're just humble enough to receive it because that risen Savior gives you salvation as a free gift. What did he say? Work for it. Earn it. I'll let you know when you've done enough. No. He said, repent and trust in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. See, in an un under the sun mindset, we are no better than the animals, and our only hope is a little enjoyment. But in an above the sun mindset, what can man do to me? Bless me or kill me, I win. Not because I'm anything special, I'm not, but because my Savior is. And he promises to take me all the way home. 
And in fact, his word says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Listen, are you ready to die? You say, boy, I'm, that's the first time I've ever been here. I don't know if I'm coming back. <laughs> My job is to teach you to die. If I can help you die well, you're ready to live. A lot of shackles will fall off when you're ready to die. Let's look quickly at the problem of oppression. I know, I told you this, we could be here a long time. But we won't be. This is three verses and I'll deal with them fairly quickly. He says, again, I saw all the oppressions that were done under the sun. This is the problem of oppression. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors was power, and there was no one to comfort them. What is oppression? It's the exercise of authority or power in a burdensome, cruel, and unjust way. It's exactly the opposite of the way Christ rules. Using authority for selfish ends to boost power, putting people down so that you can go up. It's the exercise of authority or power in a burdensome, cruel, or unjust matter. It is manipulation and control for personal benefit. Listen, if you're ever round or attached to or uh, thinking about voting for, if people can manipulate you and control you such that you own the victim identity, then it doesn't take very many things to keep you in line. Oppression is about unjust rule, which is manifest in manipulation and control for ungodly ends. I don't talk much about politics from the front, but one of the parties has adopted Romans 1 as its platform. I mean, the other one's not perfect. You just go read the second half of Romans 1, you see what I'm talking about. Godlessness, sexual perversion, on down the list. Fallen man seeks to work things out for his own, own advantage, and if in power, will abuse that power. Dr. Shaw was quoting Lord Acton. He says, great men are almost always bad men. And even if good, their power is not sufficient to remove all corruption from government. There's a lot of promises being made of how lawless stuff. If you're having to guess what side I'm falling out on, I guess I'm doing a pretty good job. I don't think you're having to guess, though. But oppression is exercising authority and power in a cruel or unjust or manipulative manner for the benefit of control and increasing power. And this world is full of oppression. And you have to, you don't have to look far to see it. I'll tell you one of the worst stories, worst examples of oppression that I've heard of, and, and, and it's, I, think, I hope it's better now, and I know Christians have been reaching out into the situation. I know the problem is still there. But reading an article from 1993, I think, about Brazil and the homeless children in Brazil, and it's, it's a huge problem in Brazil of homeless children, street kids, streetwise kids, petty thievery, all kind of bad stuff going on because I mean, they just they, they got to survive, right? So the solution was kill them. 
I'm not lying. Death squads hired to rid the slums of crime by killing the growing number of street children, often with the help of the police. Children who are petty thieves and are slain would get you 40 bucks. But killing a youth who runs drugs or leads a slum gang can get you as much as 500 bucks. Yeah, boy. We've not seen anything like that here yet. And again, I know I've read about Christians moving to Brazil to reach out to those kids, and, and, and that's the way to go, right? But government-sanctioned killing. How about child sex trafficking? We don't hear much about that. And that's all I'm going to say, parents. You can explain the rest in the way you want to. Forced prostitution, racial prejudice, cruel dictator, socialism. Did you know that's a form of oppression? If you don't, you don't know history. Yes, people have really tried the real thing. It ends in death and destruction. Oh, don't get there. Corruption and oppression will be with us until Jesus returns. I'm not saying don't fight against it and, I, and fight against it in good ways. Yes, we should. I'm not saying we'll never make progress. But sin in the heart will have to be removed before sin in the culture will be removed. And the gospel is the only thing that will do that. Thankfully, listen, good news. Thankfully, because God has sent His Son, injustice and oppression are temporary they won't last they won't be in the new heavens and the new earth but they are here now and they are a stage for the gospel so if you as a Christian address the problem without taking the gospel into that situation you have not gone at it in a kingdom way look, what, look at this look how he concludes this section and I thought the dead who were already dead were more fortunate than the living who are still alive but better than both, who is he who has not been born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done, where? Under the sun. Focusing under the sun and evil can be frustrating. But there is a God who will judge, who is in control in accomplishing his purpose. See, we're forced to make a choice here. Solomon is pushing us into the corner, and he's saying, decide. You decide. Are these characteristics of a fallen world or of just a wild and godless world? Is there more than what we see under the sun? Is there a God who is angry over sin and has judged this world? Or is world simply, the world simply here and operating by chance? You have to answer that question. If the latter, if it's simply the product of chance, what is chance? Nothing, really. Can't go there this morning. But if it's the latter, listen to me. If there is no God, there's no reliable basis. There's no justified basis for complaining against injustice. Without God, there's no place to stand to criticize injustice, unrighteousness, and oppression. It's just survival of the fittest. Hang on, do the best you can. Only faith in God allows you to justify, don't miss that word, justify the belief that these are problems. Now, see, you were created in the image of God. You know intuitively that injustice.
injustice and oppression is a problem, but you can't justify that it's a problem without an ultimate standard, and you can't have an ultimate standard if there is no God. Morality will be reduced to simply mere opinion. Who's to say Hitler was wrong? Most of the people went along with it. Now see, this is, you say, but yeah, but that was wrong. Well, I know, but justify it without God. Justify it without His law. There's no place to stand floating in midair. See, the atheist loves to stand on morality to criticize God. But if he's, he's consistent with his worldview, he has no place to stand. Because without a God, there's no objective standard of morality. It's all just opinion. But God who has revealed His law gives us a place to stand to show that these things are wrong. See, we know they're wrong, but by what standard are they wrong? There's only one, and it's God and His law. That's the only way you know murder is wrong and are able to justify that. Well, it, murder is not good for human flourishing. Who says humans should flourish if there's no God? I want you to feel the weight of that. Because without God and His standard, there's nowhere to stand to criticize. It's just all opinion. Solomon's backing us into a corner. If there are no God, then we're just animals. We're products of chance. We're lost in a sea of opinions and brute force. Death comes to all and in the end, it's better than life. So grab what you can get now. If that's all we have is what's under the sun. If there's no God... Stop complaining. Because nothing is right and nothing is wrong if there's no God. We're all just stardust and the richest and strongest will always win if there's no God. Who says he who has the most toys doesn't win if there's no God? Who says he who has the biggest army shouldn't conquer if there's no God? Listen to me. Uh, as far as I'm going this morning, and I know I'm running over. Really, not really. We don't really time things if this is your first time here. <laughs> Listen to me. If there's no God, then groups like Antifa are going about it the right way. The only way to do away with something that you do not like is to either shout it down or beat it down if there's no God. Because in this post-postmodern society that we live in, we've given up truth. We've given up right. We've given up an ultimate lawgiver. Everybody just does what is right as an own. I am whatever I feel like I am. Feel the way you want to. You are created in the image of God. And you will stand before Jesus someday. And I don't want you to stand there alone. See, if, if there's no God, they're just applying the liberal education system, what it's drummed into their heads. You are the master of your faith. You decide for yourself what's right and wrong. But there is a God and His law is the standard. And you will be judged by it. And the only way to pass that judgment is to be in Christ so that your record reads complete obedience in thought, word, and deed. 
There is one God, the Ten Commandments show us how to live. There's one God and He tells us how to worship Him. He tells us to honor His name and and to honor our parents and to honor Him in His worship and His day and not to murder, not to commit adultery, not to steal, not to covet, not to lie. We We don't oppress wrong. We don't fix wrong with wrong. So regardless to what's going on in society, if you murder, if you steal, you still be held accountable to that standard. It's still wrong. So we have to address it God's way, starting with the gospel, moving out from there to His law and having right things applied. Solomon brings us around to the truth again and again that God is real. He is there and He will judge all under the sun. If he's not there, everything under the sun is hopeless, wearying, and unsatisfying. And if there's no God, he's right. The best of all are those who've never been born and never had to deal with it. But he is there. See, I'll stop. We are are not just dust in the wind. Therefore, we have purpose and meaning and a foundation for joy and life. We have a standard. We know what is right and wrong. God formed man from the dust, but He also breathed life into him and gave him a soul. There is much more to this world than just what's under the sun. There's much more to you than what you see. This body may die, but your spirit, your soul won't die. You will stand before God and you will answer to Him And if your answer is Jesus, you are reconciled. You have hope beyond this life. You have a new heavens and a new earth to look forward to in which there will be no injustice or oppression, but only righteousness and truth and joy forever and forever. See, death is not true freedom. Christ is true freedom. Trust Him. Love Him and live for Him according to His Word. And in this way stand against all injustice and oppression. To live is Christ. Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. It's hard to walk by faith and not by sight. It is difficult as we are pulled away from Your truth and, and, and the world, the flesh, and the devil fight against us and we look around, if we, if we forget you, if we just look around in this creation, it is frustrating, it is dangerous, and it, is a, a, it will attack our faith. But when we remember our Savior, when we look to you, when we remember your love and grace for us and rest in you, knowing that you've been raised from the grave, you are reigning to take your gospel to the ends of the earth, and you're coming again someday, we have great hope. We understand the world for what it is. It's a fallen world. And we know that we have a higher purpose. Yes, we should fight against injustice and oppression, but do it by honoring Christ Jesus as Lord and moving from that perspective. What this world needs is the gospel. And Christians who live in light of the gospel and who fight in your ordained ways for righteousness and truth and justice. 
and grace. And main, main, main focus, mission. Gospel mission. But when we see people treated wrongly, it hurts us. When we see events interpreted wrongly, it hurts us. Help us to not lose our love in the midst of wickedness abounding. But to stay focused on you. To love you. To love one another. To be one heart and mind in the gospel. And to be on mission for you. Thank you for taking hell for us that we might have heaven and new heavens and new earth with you. Shape our minds by your truth. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.